Hi, and this is episode two of Conundrum. Today we're going to be talking about Bo Burnham. Um, I'm Mira, and I'm Reina. All right, so there's been a lot of controversy about him in the past few years, especially with the release of his Netflix special, Inside. And so we're going to kind of be unpacking that, talking about is he really performing white saviorism and yeah Mm -hmm. so Bo Burnham is a comedian who's gotten really famous over the pandemic um his full name is Robert Pickering Bo Burnham and he describes (laughs) that's he describes his comedy as insult comedy satire and cringe comedy he started out releasing music really um, he started by releasing his first special was uh, Words, Words, Words. Um, it was an album that was also mm-hmm. um, ended up being a special. From then, he like moved on to like shows and specials. And what's really controversial about him or like what people have been like talking about lately is how much controversial stuff he puts in his specials yeah and in his like work Mm -hmm. like the amount of slurs that he uses the amount of like oh if you're offended then then i don't really care about you kind of like language that he uses yeah you know so we're gonna go ahead and start from his career from the beginning we're just gonna go over it really quickly and then we can go ahead and get into kind of a discussion Mm -hmm. so his career started in 2006 He was um, a junior in high school, and he was writing parody songs. So Mm -hmm. back then, YouTube had just started. Um, It had been created in 2005. So it was used as a platform for people to upload videos so that their other family members could see them. Um, So he's like the original YouTuber. The song that he uploaded to YouTube was called My Whole Family. Uh, One of the lyrics is... My whole family thinks I'm gay. I guess it's always been that way. Maybe it's because of the way I walk that makes them think I like boys. Um, so my whole family ended up going viral on YouTube with 250,000 listens per day, um, which was a lot. And today it has 12 million views. Um, in 20, sorry, 2007, he um, was discovered by an agent's assistant. And then... In 2008, he uh, he was 18 at that point and had finished writing his first album of comedy songs. And uh, Bofo Show was his first EP and was released on June 17, 2008. <laughs> Bofo Show sure was something because it was like, <laughs> it was listening to it. There's like a lot of like um provocative stuff on there and it's like i think if we like clipped it into this podcast it'd be a little bit too much yeah but there's like i think like at the start of his career when he like after he got like an agent and everything like the first thing he did was like put inappropriate stuff into his music which is like okay that's one way to make like to get attention right and I think it was, like, more of a marketing technique. Because, like, the more attention you get, whether it be good or bad, you're still going to get, like, popularity. You're still going to get views. Yeah. So there were six songs on his album. Uh, the title track, H-O-A-R. Uh, High School Party Girl. 3.14 Apple Pie. Sunday School. And My Hold Family. And the same day that he released Bofa Show, he uploaded a video called I'm Bo-Yo. Um, there's this one line that I found so um, attention-grabbing, and it is, <laughs> girls don't sit on the couch because I treat my objects like women. Um, it became one of his biggest hits, and it has 35 million views um, <laughs> as of end of 2022. So, a funny thing about him, he applied for, like, he applied to a lot of colleges. Um, He got accepted into Harvard, Brown, and NYU's experimental theater programs. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, which is like huge. That's like really good schools. And then and then he like he accepted NYU, but he deferred because I think he was doing his like tours for his album. Yeah. <laughs> he just never went to college. I think it's just because of like how much like popularity his like first album got, so he was like, Oh, I don't really yeah. need to. Which is like, yeah, I get it. Um, okay, so towards the end of two thousand and eight, Judd Apatow, who was a writer director, hired him to write a screenplay for a movie that would be like anti high school musical. And then the project like never went into production. Yeah. And from then on, he really went onto like mainstream media. He did like an interview with Jimmy Fallon. He went and did his first like kind of special thing called Words, Words, Words. Um, he went on to Comedy Central. He made a show called Zack Stone is going to be famous, but that init- that then got canceled. Um, that was like when his career really took off, you know, and then the rest is history. The rest is like people consuming his media on Netflix after he got his Netflix deal. And then all of like the controversy online with what he's been saying since then. So he kind of through 2010 and then 20, um, 2014, he, uh, he was just kind of, you know, doing uh, comedy shows, specials, just performing stand-up comedy for people. Um, and then that is when he started experiencing panic attacks on stage. Um, yeah, throughout 2013 and 2014, he was active on Vine, which contributed to his popularity. Um, and then his uh, special Make Happy prepared, sorry, premiered on Netflix with critical acclaim. And... Um, it brought a new level of intimacy to his work, and it ended up getting rave reviews. He started working on a movie script about his anxiety, and it, that became the movie 8th Grade. Um, yeah. So 8th Grade premiered at Sundance in 2018, and it's 99% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes with 300-plus reviews. And then in 2019, he filmed Promising Young Woman, which won an Oscar, which I personally think is a really good movie. Um, he planned on started, <laughs> or, sorry, he planned on returning to live comedy at the start of 2020, but then COVID happened. And then he started working on Inside. Inside was released as a Netflix special, and it went viral, especially on TikTok. Uh, many animations and uh, trends called out, you know, feelings of anxiety. And then this year in 2022, the Inside outtakes came out. I think the interesting thing with Inside was that it really marked, like, a transformation in his career. Because earlier in his specials, yeah, because, like, on Words, 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 and What, it was, he was really more focused on being, like, this um, funny presence on stage without any, like, like, time to be taught like to use to talk about like serious topics and in inside he talks about like the media and he talks about all of these different like horrible subjects yeah he hits a lot of different subjects within when he does inside and it's personally i don't feel like it was as comedic as his other stuff i think it was like the fact that he didn't have to do it in front of people yeah because it was partially his like stage like anxiety that like forced him out of like talking on stage and i think because he didn't have to deal with trying to get people to laugh at him like not at him but like what he was saying he could like say whatever he wanted you know so the entire topic of this episode was the controversy he has Mm -hmm. surrounding his white saviorism and his like um wokeness and i think that inside it was 
a step like closer to it because earlier he he like makes really controversial jokes about like different races and different like sexualities that like linger on the verge of being problematic but he doesn't actually mean it so it's not it's not seen as problematic but in inside he immediately goes through like this list of problems like bam 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 consumerism the media blah 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 and he isn't trying to make it funny or like save the audience or like comfort the audience about it yeah it's kind of morbid honestly yeah it is but i do wonder if it's morbid because it makes the audience uncomfortable because i think that's what morbidity is. <laughs> no, I mean, I read this quote once where it was like, "Art is made like art is created to make the comfortable uncomfortable, and the com like the uncomfortable comfortable." Art. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Art is meant to comfort the to comfort the disturb and disturb the comforted. Yeah, and I'm wondering if people are like irked. <laughs> By Bo Burnham. <laughs> irked. Irked. By Bo... <laughs> I love that word. By Bo Burnham because he makes people uncomfortable because he talks about these very real things. Yeah. He's making the comfortable people, the people who don't have to deal with all of these like topics, uncomfortable because he's saying these problems exist and nobody's... Like, you guys are all ignoring it. And it's like, bringing it to our attention is uncomfortable for us. It's morbid. And so we don't want to hear it. Yeah. I think that's part of the reason why he's gotten so popular, especially Mm -hmm. with younger people. I think a really, really, like, like, a really good example of his, like, descent into, um, I'm gonna say this and people aren't gonna like it, but they need to hear it, uh, was with his song like art is dead yeah he it was his very first serious song and one of the lyrics was talking about how um art and like the media and like comedians and songwriters and all these different people use art to like make money like comfortably where there are like people like struggling to meet ends on a day-to-day basis and how um people like famous and popular artists are making money like comfortably from their like homes, you know? And I do yeah. remember that whenever he um performed that song in whether it was in front of like the public or whether it was in front of um people in like an interview show nobody laughed because it was so uncomfortable to hear this man talking about all like everything that was wrong with what he was doing at this moment and everything that was wrong with the audience at this moment it's just this like six foot five comedian being like (laughs) art is dead art is dead and you guys are part of the reason yeah. why, you know? So uh, what we did when we were prepping for this episode is we um, we split up what his, what his projects are mm-hmm. and we watched them individually. So we didn't – collectively, we have watched all of them. So we're just going to kind of go over um, the – how his career has changed and the content in his projects, how they have impacted – had they have been impacted by his maturing. And yeah, Reyna watched 8th grade. So 8th grade is really interesting because it's a movie that he's made. It's not a special. He's not the one saying the jokes, you know? It w- it's about this um, girl. Her name is Kayla, I'm pretty sure. And she's in 8th grade as the movie name would assume and she's going through her like development as a teenager and she's struggling with intense feelings of anxiety 
and the movie is just about her development um going through different like awkward moments where she tries to fit in and at the end of the movie she has this revelation where she's like oh all these people are just really mean and even if i do feel anxiety i don't have to go like along with their perception of like a normal person he's not acting in it and so i was curious to see what he would make like the actors like convey and one of the things i noticed is that he's so good at conveying awkwardness it's actually it's so insane like i was watching it and i was like oh i think that he really used like his own experiences for this because what he uses to portray awkwardness like the like the silences and like yeah the pauses yeah how people like stare at her because in inside he tells a joke and then he sits in silence to like convey like how he's alone because like the pandemic really isolated everybody and in eighth grade kayla does vlogs she does vlogs and at the beginning of the movie she closes her vlogs with um her like signature catchphrase and then she just sits there for like an entire minute in silence and you just bo burnham as a creator is able to make the audience feel so uncomfortable without even trying and i think that's a really 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 interesting skill yeah because i know that a lot of screenwriters and producers and directors struggle with that yeah like in disney disney xd i remember growing up on disney xd films like austin and ally and like um jesse and there would always be these films about high school where like the main character is like oh this like this like mysterious like new girl from like another town who like goes to high school in this like rugged rural like yeah like (laughs) you know what i mean good not like other girls yeah and it's like bo burnham i think what was so uncomfortable about this movie was that it's so real like the subtle undertones that he puts in this movie like he doesn't have to say oh this girl is getting bullied oh this girl is being ostracized because you can feel it in the way that he's told these actors to like portray their feelings and all these like the dialogue that he's created you know yeah so the next one his oldest special was words 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 and this was at like the beginning of his career so he did not have much experience and he was just trying to put himself out there But I did notice that every single thing he said in this special was problematic. Like, every single time he opened his mouth, it was, oh, the Jews, oh, the gay people, oh, the black people. I was just sitting there like, oh, he never really gives his audience a break. And it's it's something, because he bases off his entire special on his controversial takes you know and i find it really funny that you can't find this special anywhere (laughs) because because it's so problematic because if anybody watches it he's gonna get canceled so fast he's gonna get because yeah (laughs) i started watching it and i was like i'm sorry i can't it was the first five minutes, I was like, oh, that was kind of racist of you. <laughs> and I think that words, words, words was like the epitome of this is this is something the epitome of a middle school boy obsessed with dark humor. <laughs> it's. No, I can say this because it it's just a joke. It's just a joke. You're you're being too sensitive. You know? Yeah. It's like 
Ugh, I don't... It's... The only thing I can say about this is I'm glad that he's gone out of this stage of saying whatever he... Like, whatever saying he whatever gets him views. Yeah, you know? <laughs> oh, that's... It was most certainly a journey. It was a journey, actually. I, like, immediately collapsed <laughs> after I watched it. Um... Okay, I think after that, his next special was... What? Yeah, it was what? Um... So, similar to... Um, words, words, words. His humor is just self-deprecating, which in and of itself isn't a bad thing, but he just doesn't do anything else. Um... It's... It's like there's nothing... <laughs> to laugh at you know homophobia he was said the f slur like a bunch of times and his what i noticed with that special oh is God. that his preferred method of humor aside aside from um dark humor is just shock humor and it's just not funny especially i think this was impacted by the way that he i think it was impacted by his age i think he was very young when this came out. I think he was in his early 20s, like 21 he or 22. He was very young. And it was just, he said the N-word, and it was just... <laughs> oh, God. And it's, I think his, like, jokes are, like, based on, oh, how how many times can I, like, shock the audience yeah. into laughing? And I think kind of what I noticed from this special is that he didn't really have much to say and if you've ever seen a Bo Burnham like comedy special or especially his older ones a lot of what is involved in that is like stage effects so it'll be like lighting and like pre-recorded mm -hmm. audios and it's just not very funny <laughs> however I do think that the end of it and the middle of it was kind of interesting but he just wasn't really serious enough I think um mm -hmm. in contrast an example of a comedian that does a really good balance of comedy and seriousness is Hassan Minhaj Hassan Minhaj I love Hassan Minhaj and I think what Hassan does that Bo didn't do one I think Hassan is he's almost 40 years old <laughs> um he has a message that he wants to tell and he knows who his audience is. Mm -hmm. And I think at this point in Bo's career, he was just very lost. Mm -hmm. And so that really impacted um, his content and his delivery and what he thought was funny and what was actually funny. Yeah. I think it was just because he didn't have a niche yet, you know? Yeah. It was like, he calls himself, like, a skinny white boy every, like, second he gets. And it's like, yeah, that is, that is what he is. But <laughs> he doesn't, he didn't have, like, a specific audience that he wanted to, like, cater to. Like, Hassan Minhaj, he's catering, like, to the sons and daughters and, like, children of immigrants, you know? Yeah. He has, like, the shared experience with these people. And he has serious moments where he, like, delves into, like, his emotions. And... I think, oh gosh, Bo Burnham didn't have a personality other than, like, making fun of, like, every single thing he could get his hands on that was slightly controversial. Yeah. It was like, he made jokes, but Hassan Minhaj as a person, like, you can tell who he is like his background he has interests that differentiate him from other people like yeah with patriot act he was taught he was combining comedy and politics mm -hmm. that was his niche and bo burnham i suppose he had a niche it was very it was shock humor and i don't know if what was considered funny in the 2000s and like <laughs> early 2010s is different than what we find funny now probably but it just it doesn't really hold up yeah it's like i think our opinions are obviously going to be different because we're like living in the like 2022 right now 
and definitely there's like different nuances into what we say because we live in a generation that's like holding people accountable for what they're saying now but like I'm not saying we should completely disregard what he's saying and like say oh he was it was just the 2000s yeah no but like I think we do have to take that into consideration because he really was just a person who was trying to get attention and what was you know what was getting attention yeah. at the time people who were saying like controversial things people who were saying people who were like using dark humor you know i think that's true even now but it's just the standards for yeah what is funny have changed and i think that's why it just doesn't hold up to like, yeah because people are holding age like, well being held accountable they're losing their college scholarships you know yeah okay um okay so his uh, next special make after happy. what make happy, happy certainly did not make me happy it was <laughs> it was it had some good bits it had some bits where i was sitting there in the dark at 11:30 being like why am i watching this but what was so interesting about the special unfortunately was not the jokes but it was his transformation as a person you know like in make happy he has this song that talks about um like the types that men and women have for their like romantic partners you know he and he ends the song with something that he's never done before he ends the song saying everybody deserves love you know and it's like oh he's never he's never said that before yeah he's never been like everybody deserves love everybody everybody love yourself you know it's always been like oh i'm black people gay people look at those immigrants you know it's it's like (laughs) yeah i think make happy probably is his words coming back to hurt him because he started realizing he started realizing words do matter and he has to become this empathetic person because that's what people like need you can't have somebody in media that just makes jokes about people while like not proving that they're a good person you know like celebrity culture nowadays is like if they're not a good person then you can't they can't be your favorite celebrity you know you can't nothing else matters if unless they're an objectively yeah and it's like so many celebrities are canceled like every single day because of the things that they've said because they're held accountable and i think accountability is what changed bo burnham yeah into like this like empathetic caring man who believes that everybody should be loved regardless of who they are you know and he goes he kind he kind of externalized his jokes by like using other people as part of his source material but in make happy he gets way more self-deprecating and if you watch all of these specials in order you can see like slowly see his descent into his like his anxiety yeah and you're you're watching this man slowly like get more and more anxious on stage and slowly make fun of himself on stage and it's not funny anymore you know you're just worried about this guy and it's like yeah he said some horrible things but he he's like so vulnerable on stage and it's i get why he went off stage you know yeah it's, that sh- it sure was something so speaking of anxiety with uh Bo burnham i think that definitely existed for him when he was doing those specials but he said in an interview um when he was talking about you know how he came up with the concept for eighth grade and he was talking about he was he said quote and like my anxiety didn't really wake up until i was maybe a sophomore in high school and i was you know in and out of the hospital with stomach problems thinking i had some gastro issue and it was really just oh i'm nervous i'm just nervous 
Mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting that it manifested in panic attacks, and it manifested in panic attacks later in his career. Mm-hmm. I think a very interesting interview that he had was an interview about eighth grade and um, how he directed the movie. And in the interview, he talks about his decisions directing and he says that a lot of his like personal experiences in high school brought forth like what he decided to do in the movie, how Kayla's like um development would go. And I think that's really interesting because eighth grade didn't end with people like being like, Oh, Kayla's so awesome, you know? It ended with her being like, Oh, People think I'm awkward, but I don't have to live with that guilt. I don't have to feel guilty about my own actions, about the fact that I don't fit in, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's very real. It's not, it's not like Disney XD, you know? Like, I've said it, I've said it, like, before, but, like, it's not like this fantasy world where, like, everybody automatically likes you and you get, like, a happy ending. And... Yeah, I think the fact that Bo Burnham, like, pulls from his own experiences as, like, a high schooler and, like, talks about these very real issues is why he's so popular. So, speaking on the controversy that surrounds him now, we took a bit of a look into what many people have talked about regarding his um art whether it's performative or whether it's um genius or whether it's talent or whether it's like media that just like uses other people's like experiences for clout you know Mm -hmm. and i think what's really interesting about his art about his media is that he talks about these issues. He says that they're there, but there's no lesson. There's no, there's nothing that you can, like, go out and do, you know? He doesn't say, oh, go support local businesses. Oh, um, do your best to stop consumerism. It's kind of like this tragic media that says, oh, this is, this is what's happening. The world is ending, but that's it you know yeah so um i watched a video uh, a youtube video mm-hmm. called oh burnham's inside and white liberal performative art by well, let me check i'm not sure who it's by it's by fd signifier and it kind of went viral it has almost 2 million views now and it was posted about a year ago so his framework the way that he talked about this is you know he painted inside in a in a positive light he didn't say it was bad and honestly i don't think it's bad either i just think it's um it has a lot of content that can be discussed Mm -hmm. um and what he said what the youtuber said um what he what he was describing bo burnham's uh art as an inside is uh white liberal performative art and he describes it as any art form that evokes and presents a worldview that is intrinsically white, intrinsically liberal, and at least some level is very self-aware of this fact. And I thought that was interesting because, well, I agree that Inside was very, very intrinsically white. Like, he talked mm-hmm. about all of these issues about uh, racism and all of this stuff from a very white perspective. And it's definitely liberal as well. Uh, He came at it from a very, like, we need to fix this kind of point of view. And he is extremely self-aware, and I think that's what Mm -hmm. gets him a lot of attention. Extremely self-aware. On, like, multiple occasions, he's said, oh, I'm a white man. And he, he, like, he says, um, like, he makes a point of, oh, you, nobody would want to hear a white man talking about this topic like, this topic, why would a white man, blah, 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 you know? It's like, I mean, I I get the fact that he really wants to be, like, he wants to make a joke out of it. He's saying, 
Oh, but nobody wants to hear the white man say anything. Yeah. You know, but I think the problem with that, like, line of thinking is we do want the white people to do something. You know, it's like, I was sitting there like, so? Like, (laughs) you're white, so? Here's the thing. POC and marginalized minorities and people of like marginalized identities can't spend every single waking hour like like working as activists you know yeah we we want to be able to live normal lives and if like people outside of those minorities aren't helping and aren't contributing to trying to help us achieve that then we're not going to get anywhere it's tiring it is tiring and this man he's he's partially there (laughs) he's he's partially there he's so self-aware it's actually kind of it's extremely painful actually it's painful it's irking (laughs) because it's very irking (laughs) because this man knows he knows everything that's happening but he isn't he isn't he isn't really doing anything about it yeah he's not doing anything and his white saviorism and it's the thing with bo burnham i don't think it's saviorism because he isn't trying to save us at least with like white saviorism they try to insert themselves into, like, the topic. They're trying to, like, do something. But Bo Burnham, he's just sitting there, like, miles away from the action, being like, oh, wow, wow, look at look at that. Look at, look at what that guy did. Oh, my God. He's like a soccer, like, commentator. Okay, so we're just going to kind of go over the framework of how this, uh, of the framework that this YouTuber described. And so... He said it was kind of three parts. The first part was a white habitus worldview. Mm-hmm. And then two and three were an interaction between performative wokeness and existential dread. And I think existential dread describes Bo Burnham's uh, creations Wait. as just... It, it, it describes mm-hmm. him so well. So, yeah. It's, it's just an absolutely yeah. perfect description of who his character is on stage and online. (laughs) White habitus is the sociological and physiological condition of whiteness. So, i.e. how white people see and experience the world. (laughs) The condition of whiteness. (laughs) It's the condition condition of of white. (laughs) Okay. Basically, just like how white people see the world. Uh, This is a quote pulled from the video directly. Mm-hmm. Quote, uh, unconscious element of understanding the world as white informs so many. Sorry, that was really weird emphasis. Um, unconscious element of understanding the world as white informs so many other issues that are re- related to racism. And then this is re- or sorry, referenced on uh, this is referenced in Bo's song Problematic. Um, like the song is actually called Problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I find it really interesting that this video touches on white feminism and especially the pin trend from 2016 mm-hmm. <laughs> right after Trump was elected <laughs> it showed solidarity and really was like white feminism at its truest I think white feminism as a topic is so interesting because Bo Burnham, Bo Burnham is looking at everything from like a white viewpoint because he is white you know yeah. It's hard to look at it from other viewpoints. Yeah, because he's never been like he's never been discriminated in that kind of way. I saw this piece of media where white women are like unco- they unconsciously view black women as sort of like a threat because through their like white habitus, through like growing up as a white person, they're consistently told what not to do. Don't be loud. Stay quiet. Like be submissive. And when like black women go out into the world, like and be all of those things, they're disturbed. You know, it is racism. 
Yeah. It is unconscious bias. But I find it so interesting that it's it's part of white culture. You know, like white culture like takes all of these ideals and then when these people are thrown out into the world, they put these ideals into like spaces meant to empower people. Like the LGBTQ community, like like feminism, like anything really. It takes away spaces for other people to talk. I agree. And I feel like this is a quote from the video again, but white habitus, at least in America, it teaches people. And this is kind of a testament to, you know, pack mentality versus like the individual. It teaches people, especially white people, that social problems are mostly the problems of individuals. Mm-hmm. That the overall, that overall the system works and treats people fairly. And it's the individuals that make immoral decisions that hurt other people. And that's just not true. And I think it's really interesting that the YouTuber... Uh, FD signifier commented on it like this because I think it's he's coming from a point of view that isn't talked about as much Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of the time people are talking about they talk about issues as if there's one person behind the whole thing when in reality it's us as a society that perpetuate these issues and I think you can really see that well in Bo Burnham's content yeah because Bo Burnham takes all these organizations and all these like really really influential people like bezos and he says these men these people in these organizations and the system that they've created they're the ones tearing us down and his messages make people so uncomfortable because of that because people grow up learning individuals perpetuate racism no it is us as a society, as like edu- the education system, the, the justice system, the police, you know, systems are the ones perpetuating racism, perpetuating discrimination. And I think that what you said about individuals or like what rather what the YouTuber said about individuals, how like white habitus tells them that they're the ones that have all the power, that they're the ones that discriminate. I think that is what's hurting activism in general, because that is what is causing people to debate about critical race to, like theory, to debate about the effectiveness of the police. Do we need police? Well, people see it on two different viewpoints. They're like, oh, we need the police because who's going to protect us? Of course, but where does the police come from? You know, it's like all of these different viewpoints coming together, but people aren't able to think any other way because it's what's drilled into us. But that's not saying, that's definitely not saying that we can't change. Bo Burnham makes such a good point with that topic. The YouTuber makes such a good point. (laughs) Oh my god, I'm so sorry. Yes, the YouTuber. And I think something that he he said another thing, talking about Everything that happened with George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement in 2020, um, that just really struck a chord in me. He said, quote, as a black man who looks like this, who for decades has worked with high-risk youth, taught high school in high-risk areas, who has two black sons of his own, I just don't have the luxury of being horrified by shit like this. And I think that is, from what I can tell, and I don't know if this is representative of everyone's experience because everyone's experiences are different i think that a lot of people of color especially black people empathize with this a lot and personally i feel like that's why the black lives matter movement in 2020 was less about actually saving black lives but more about making other people who weren't black and who weren't facing that discrimination feel good about themselves Mm -hmm. yeah i find it so interesting that when people try to hold systems accountable, when you go to your white friends and to your friends that aren't in like marginalized communities, more times than not, they get defensive because it's us believing that it's the individual. Like if I'm not racist, then the racism in my space doesn't exist. And it's like the Black Lives Matter movement it was trying to enact change in like police brutality 
I do think that online, it was more of, oh, I have to prove that I as an individual, I'm not perpetuating racism so that I can feel more comfortable knowing that this racism in my space does not exist when that's not true. It was the entire thing with like the black square. What's the point of posting a black square? I guess it's to show solidarity, but it's also like, that is the epitome of performativity, privilege, all of that. All of these individuals believing that we as individuals do have power to make change, but to make change, we need to change the systems. It may seem a little bit harsh, but telling your brother to not watch Andrew Tate anymore and him being like, okay, sure, I don't believe in Andrew Tate, isn't going to change much. This is kind of taken as an example from, you know, like Germany. They educate their children on Hitler. They talk about it. And as a society, they have resolved that trauma in a way that they can grow. And it's trying. It's kind of like trying to walk if you've broken your ankle. Yeah. You can't, you can't walk without limping. I think in order for America, at least, to have really any meaningful change towards that, we need to talk about our roots in slavery and there needs to be a societal reckoning when it comes to that because until that happens until people really come to terms with this and us as a society do that people like Bo Burnham are just going to continue on and people that are not marginalized not discriminated against will continue supporting him because in the at the end of the day all of this performative activism is not for the people that have been actually affected. It's just for those who want to feel like they're making an impact. Exactly. And I think Bo Burnham isn't quite aware that his audience is not the marginalized communities that he's speaking all of these topics to. His audience is not being empowered. He may believe that what he's saying is empowering these individuals, but based on everything that we've discussed that truly it's comfort it's like oh if i talk about this and this and this then i've solved the problem for myself yeah and that kind of ties into another thing that um the youtube uh, ft signifier said he said when white people describe racism as evil, they mythologize it. White people either knowingly or unknowingly uh, create distance from themselves and the system of white supremacy that makes racism in all its permutations possible when they call racism evil. And it's like mythologizing it is such a good way to talk about it because these people, they know that these things are in place, but most of the time, rather than not, they will take these subjects and immediately go, well, this doesn't apply to me. Like, they'll talk about it as if it's, like, some far away, like, battle zone. Yeah. Like, they distance like it's on. Yeah, they distance themselves. And to tie it all together, he offered an interesting question, FD Signifier. Do I want to change society or do I want to feel better? And that in and of itself is existential dread. Mm -hmm. That is, you know, reckoning with our history, performative activism, all of the consequences and, um, you know, 
the resistance to address real problems and instead to want to comfort yourselves to feel better that is what existential dread is and that is what Bo Burnham is the epitome of Mm -hmm. to tie it all together Bo Burnham truly is a talented individual yes like despite everything that we've said I know that for like the past like 20 minutes or so we've been going Bo Burnham this and this and this and this is and this is wrong with him but he is talented he can make like song lyrics he can make media that's able to relate to people and create something profound within his audience but you have to make sure to not isolate yourself from like the subject even if you aren't in the marginalized community yeah it's the power of being vulnerable yeah Bo Burnham is truly vulnerable but he's not vulnerable to the stage where he is able to say I'm sorry I'm not saying Bo Burnham needs to apologize and I'm not saying that he should apologize for every single little like thing that he's done unconsciously yeah because if we if we start to apologize for everything that we've done unconsciously and hurt people unconsciously then we'll never stop apologizing i think that moving forward bo burnham in his own way through his specials i think the best step for him rather than saying i'm a white man and so therefore haha i shouldn't be talking about this yeah. <laughs> he should be saying I'm a white man and even though I'm a white man I have to talk about this yeah anyways I think that's gonna be the end of our episode thank you so much for listening uh, we hope you enjoyed it and mm-hmm. we will see you in the next one <laughs>